0: Acts chapter 1, the former account I had made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, and as he went up, Steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, "Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so will will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven." Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath-stayed journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120, and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong. He burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And he became known to all those dwelling, and it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem that the field is called in their own language, akeldama, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, "Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another one, let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have, accomplished, who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justus, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Thank
1: you. Good morning. It's a joy to be before the Word this morning. A question I'd like you to think about and consider as we work through the text today Do the Scriptures? shape your decision-making? Do the Scriptures shape your decision-making? You know, in the days of waiting between the ascension of Jesus and the arrival of the Holy Spirit, we have one additional event recorded by Luke as he is carried along By the Holy Spirit. The event is revealed here in chapter 1, verses 15 through 26. The man-inserted header in your Bible might read something like, Matthias chosen. Or, 12th apostle decided on. Or, I don't know what your wording is in, in the scripture. Sometimes they have those headings. Right? That man puts in there. Trying to summarize what these next few sentences, verses, are about. And you might be tempted to skim this section of text as filler. Church, there are no filler texts in the scripture. No uninspired words of God. You can't pick and choose the words that you like and which words you're just going to pass on. See, the word did not come to you that you might treat it as your favorite buffet bar where you go down the line, select those items that you'd like to have and those other items, well, they can wait. We'll push them to the side. No, because the word itself says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17, that all scripture, remember, all scripture is profitable. For doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, the question this morning how is Acts 1, 15 to 26 profitable? Seeing that it's part of scripture and trusting that God's word is true. How then is this passage profitable for your soul? What's to learn right here in the text? What does the Lord intend to teach you from this passage? You might have arrived here today thinking, I already know about this text. They're going to replace Judas with Matthias. Let's just get on to Acts 2. If you've had any of those thoughts, I'd like to encourage you a bit. Acts chapter 1, 15 through 26, has a purpose in the book of Acts. And I believe in the whole of Scripture, but definitely right here in the book of Acts, in this specific context. Because you see, if it was a meaningless text, the Holy Spirit would not have moved Luke to pen the words... If it had nothing of eternal significance, if it had no spiritual value, if it contributed nothing to your life as a believer, perhaps these words would not be present where they are. But we need to understand they do sit in a context like all words of Scripture. And they present us with additional insight on what the new community was doing together In the midst of what we talked about last week, in the midst of their waiting, the family gathered on the front porch. It's hard to believe that was just yesterday morning. There have been a lot of things that have happened this week. But we gathered the family Saturday morning on the front porch. And I, and I prayed, and I, and I prayed for the time yet to come here in these next few weeks. A time where we're waiting to move into another home. And my prayer was that our waiting might be filled with a spirit of contentment. And that, that God's word would be sufficient for us. You see, many of the things in the house that gained a level of attention before the move, those things are packed away in storage. My prayer is that the word of God gain greater, not lesser attention in the interim. My prayer is that the waiting is not simply wasting time away until we can move into a new home. The waiting. See, I I, I desire that the waiting be marked with the word of God. And you know, you too might be here today. You're sitting in a chair. However comfortable or uncomfortable it may be. And you too may be going through a period of waiting. Bring the word of God to bear on your waiting, period. Church, when you're in the midst of waiting, does God's word get put into storage? Along with all your stuff? When you go on vacation... Does the Word of God go with you? And I'm not just talking about carrying it with you. Let me ask it a different way. When when you're away, is the Word of God opened, read, studied, loved, treasured? Is it a delightful read for you and your family? You see, this Word is intended to be a lamp to your feet and a light. To your path. It illuminates direction for the moment. And makes known the way of the righteous. And as Acts 1 comes to a close, before getting into Acts 2, I believe this. I believe that in the text today, the word of God is being held up high for all to see. I believe that's what's happening here. I mean, think about it. What else did these guys, did this community of believers, what else did they have available at this point? Jesus has ascended. The Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. Oh, but the word of God remains alive and active. This word of God, it's also fitting in light, not only of the context, but it's fitting in light of the world that we live in. A world that largely despises the word of God, maligns the word of God, treats it as good literature and nothing else, perhaps. The word of God is being held up today in the text held up not, not simply to, to look at, not simply to take note of, but held up as of prime importance, held up as a necessity to the life of a believer in Jesus, held up as the well from which we are to drink regularly, held up as a tool to shape us in increasing measure To the image of our Lord, Jesus Christ. The Word, the Logos, John chapter 1, the Word has now ascended, but the Word of God, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, they're being pointed to. We need to remember as well that He had, when Jesus departed, In fact, it's helpful just to even look at the end of Luke's gospel where you see this. Luke chapter 24 and 44. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things must be fulfilled which were written, where? In the law of Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms concerning me. It's important that we understand that. He had opened their very understanding of the scriptures. I imagine the time that they had reading the scriptures after receiving such an understanding. The word of God is held high in this text in Acts 1. It's paraded around as the reason. ...for doing what they were doing. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Sounds like something the Christian community ought to be about, huh? Acting in light of what this says. That's what's happening right here. And yet, you know, we we see that and, and perhaps intellectually recognize that. But I do believe it's important to ask the question... ...series of questions does your life, actions, words, thoughts, motivations, do these things all align with what the Word says to be true about the one who follows Jesus? Is the Word of God given priority in your life? I read Acts 1, 15 through 26... And I don't simply see a replacement apostle added to the list. I see an emphasis put forth that this scripture had to be fulfilled. That's the word. In the midst of their continual worship, right? Saw that at the end of Luke 24. That's what they were doing in the waiting. Jesus ascends. Back to be with the Father. And the end of Luke's gospel says that they gathered together and they were worshiping continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. So in the midst of continual worship and continual prayer, Acts chapter 1 verse 14 says that they gathered together with one accord, with one mind. They were praying together. In the midst of that, what we see here in this text today is the word of God. It's being held up as the precursor to their action. It's being held up as the source, the very source for their action. It's being held up as the catalyst for their action. And it's being held up and seen as the wisdom for action. And we're going to talk about each one of those in the text. First of all, we look at verses 15 through 19. By the way, just to kind of separate this a bit, we're going to see as Peter stands to speak, it begins in verse 16. He'll speak through verse 17, and then there's going to be this little pause that Luke inserts here, this little gap, a parenthetical, two verses. Then he's going to come back in 20, 21, 22, and finish up Peter's speaking. And there's going to be some actions that come out of those words. If we look at 15 through 19. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120. Peter stands up in the midst of the disciples. Now, this isn't a surprise, is it? That Peter's the one standing up. Is that a surprise? No, it ought not take us by surprise. Peter's the one standing to speak. He typically can be found in the gospel standing up to speak for the group of 12, sometimes speaking well, sometimes not so well. But nevertheless, the spokesperson. And here he is representing this new community of believers, some 120 names. That's interesting, isn't it? Some 120 names. It's like the the beginning church roster, if you will. This is what they started with 120. The scripture is silent on why Peter stands to speak. Doesn't necessarily tell us why. I have a hunch, though, that the word of God at this point in Peter's life was to him like a fire in his bones. There's a fire in his bones, needing to find an exit, needing to find a hearing. Have you ever been there? Where the word of God is in you and it's just, it's got to come out. Point in time where that word of God stirs you to such a degree that you stand to speak You know, I believe in the period of waiting, Peter speaks, not out of selfish ambition, not simply to be heard. You know, someone said that when people stand on a Sunday, and there's lots of people right now as we speak, standing in various church buildings. There's a difference between someone saying something and someone who has something to say. Peter stands to speak, not just to be heard, not just because, hey, it's time, I need to talk. Peter has something to say to this new community of believers. And praise the Lord, he speaks this word. You see, because this is a rallying cry of sorts for this new community, This is a proclamation, if you will, pointing this band of believers to the law and the testimony. (laughs) Pointing them. James chapter 1, 19 to 22, reads this way So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. Slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Elsewhere, Paul writes in Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by what the word of god and that word of god in you is not to just be stored up and collected simply for memorization purposes but it's intended to impact your behavior your living and your walking as a follower of jesus it's intended to be altered as the word of God is brought to bear now, right now, and how to live this life that you've been given. So Peter stands to speak amidst the group of disciples awaiting the promise of the Father, right? Acts chapter 1, verse 5. They're waiting. What is the word Peter speaks? Why is he speaking? What's the word for the new community at this time? We look at verses 16 and 17. Men and brethren... This scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before, by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. So the precursor to action in this text is an awareness of scripture. An awareness of Scripture. Sounds real simple. But you know what, church? Sometimes we don't do this very well. (laughs) Just a simple awareness of Scripture. That's the precursor to the action that they're going to be taking. Peter stands to speak, recognizing this is what the Word of God says. Praise the Lord for these moments. You know, I, I take great delight, perhaps you as a parent do the same. I take great delight in the Lord when the children come up with a word from Scripture that relates to the life that they're living. You See, in those walking along the, the way, right? The rising up, laying down, those moments of the day when the word intersects with their lives Monday through Saturday, not just inside walls of a building on Sunday, When they're enabled to see the value of knowing God's word and how it's shaping their lives, transforming them to walk as Christ himself walked. Notice what Peter does as he stands to speak. Not only does he have an awareness of what the scripture says, but he says some other things that I believe are instructional for you to hear. First, he connects scripture to the Holy Spirit. Look at that men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke before, by the mouth of David. You see, the Holy Spirit had not yet come on the scene. See, Acts 2 hasn't shown up yet. But Peter understands that the Holy Spirit is the spokesperson of scripture. And you know, I got to thinking, isn't it, Wow, this is is great to see this because when you fast forward to Peter's second epistle, let's look at this, this is really important, I think significant way to connect some scripture with scripture. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 20, listen to what Peter says. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but here it is holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter wrote that as he's moved by the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting right here in the book of Acts... that he's connecting Scripture and the Holy Spirit. But he also connects what was written before to what's just taken place. He says, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Perhaps you're wondering how David could speak of Judas. That's a good question. If you thought that, that's a very good question. Well, I believe 2 Peter 1:21 is is your answer. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about it. How is it that that there are so many psalms that speak of Jesus' death on the cross, right? You read Psalm 22, for example, and you see the image there of Christ in in a time around his death, crucifixion, burial, resurrection. You see, the Holy Spirit Church brought those words about. And Peter is connecting what was written before with what has just taken place. Speaking of the events surrounding Judas. He also, right here in this text, allows the scriptures... This is so important. He allows the scriptures to shape the subject matter. Okay? So, bringing up this subject of Judas among the other 11 apostles. No doubt there are others there. There's 120, right? But bring this subject matter up among the 11... Church, let's not be fooled here. This this would have been difficult. Think about how tempting it might have been at this point to start condemning Judas, to start gossiping about Judas, to recount the stories where Judas, hey, did you see Judas? Judas in that time where he stuck his hand in the money bag and he stole all that money. Yeah, I saw him do it too. And let me tell you, and story, and story, and story, and story, and story about Judas. You see, the situation was, was ripe for that kind of talk to go on about Judas. There's a lesson here. Allow the scriptures to shape the subject matter of what you are speaking When we don't do that, the tendency for us in the flesh is to do the very thing I just talked about, where you start gossiping, where you start talking about this and that. You start talking about your own opinions and and it gets separated and disconnected from the word of God. One of the things I love about this is that we see Peter here, he's allowing the scriptures to shape the subject matter. See, the, the subject matter is handled from the Lord's perspective through the lens, church, of the Scriptures. The text says Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Peter summarizes the actions of Judas and, and recalls that night in the garden when the soldiers came with their lanterns and their weapons and their torches and accompanied ...accompanied by one of Jesus' own apostles. And standing there in that moment... ...must have been a flood of emotions for those other eleven. As they witnessed Judas escorting these soldiers to the very place... ...the very place where Jesus often withdrew with the twelve... You see, what used to be a place of intimacy was now the stage for betrayal and arrest. Peter here in this text in Acts also understands that despite what Judas did, He nevertheless was chosen by the Lord just like Peter himself was. He was chosen as one of the 12. Right? He he puts that forward. He was numbered with us. He obtained a part in this ministry. In fact, you can look at the scriptures and you can see examples. Mark 3, 13 through 19. In that text, it says he went up on the mountain... And called to him those he himself wanted. Jesus did that. And they came to him. And then it gives the list of names. And at the end we see, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Matthew 10, 1-4. When he had called his 12 disciples to him. And then lists the names of all those disciples. At the end we see, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And we see Luke chapter six. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray, and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles in the list of names, and at the end of the list, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. Who also became a traitor. That's interesting that it says he became a traitor. Because later on here in Acts 1, it's going to say, Judas, by transgression, fell. He became a traitor. John's Gospel, chapter 6, 64 and 65, 70 and 71. Jesus says, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe... And who would betray him? Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. For it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. It's almost, they want to make sure, the gospel writers want to make sure that you know. He's one of the twelve. He was chosen just like the other eleven. The precursor to action is an awareness of what the scriptures say. Luke inserts a parenthetical phrase in verses 18 and 19... ...right in the midst of Peter's speaking. He continues his speaking then in verses 20 through 22... ...but but in 18 and 19, there's a brief summary of what happened to Judas. Now this man purchased a field... With the wages of iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. Some of you may be sitting there and thinking, he could have left that summary out. And then perhaps there's some of you sitting there going, I'm glad he included the summary. Some details. It became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem so that the field is now called, in their language, Acheldama, that is, field of blood. All right, now, one text that's helpful for us here, Matthew Matthew 27, gives us a a good look and see window here, one through 10, of this event in the life of Judas. And in Matthew, remember, he's, in verse 3, He saw Jesus had been condemned. He was remorseful, brought back 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests. He says, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, hey, what is that to us? Verse 5. Then Judas, he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went. And he hanged himself. That's what he did. He hanged himself. Notice the response from the chief priests upon seeing the coins thrown in the temple. Verse 6. The chief priests took the silver pieces and said, It's not lawful to put these coins into the treasury because they're the price of blood. Isn't it interesting that they recognize that very thing? (laughs) Next verse. And they consulted together. They tended to do that very well. Consulted together and bought with them the 30 pieces of silver, that is, the potter's field, to bury strangers in it. They didn't purchase the field to build a city. They purchased the field for the purpose of burying strangers in it. It's interesting that Luke's account in Acts says that Judas purchased the field. Matthew says the chief priest bought the field. Both are true. These are not contradictions, church. Please understand this. Matthew is pointing to the party that actually purchased the field. Luke is pointing to Judas. It was his money that purchased the potter's field. Notice if you keep reading in Matthew 27 that the purchase of this potter's field is actually another fulfillment of Scripture. You can look at Jeremiah 32, 6-9. You can look at Zechariah chapter 11, 11, 12, and 13. Those may be helpful you might be thinking, how does that happen? I mean, these guys, they consulted together, these chief priests, and they came up with this idea to, to buy this potter's field. It's interesting, is it not, when you see people who are not of God in the Scriptures making decisions, doing and acting in certain ways, and, and behind the scenes, that sovereign hand of God is orchestrating all of their work. Praise the Lord for that. How about King Cyrus? You remember King Cyrus? Or we could just list a bunch of other kings, but the the scripture is filled with this kind of an example. Where God is using, he doesn't just use his own people. He uses people who are adamantly opposed to his ways. And still brings about his purposes. Again, you might ask, how does that happen? How does fulfillment of scripture happen in that situation? I'll point you back to 2 Peter chapter 1. Holy men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Orchestrating these events. The word of God, church, serves as a precursor to action for Peter and for this new community. He stands to speak in light of what the scriptures say. The situation with Judas is not a mystery to the Lord. He has a word to speak about this. And Peter stands to speak, raising the awareness of what the word of God says about it. All right, so the word of God is also, look at verse 20. The word of God is also the source of action. Not only is it a precursor, it's the source, it's the very source. Verse 20, look at those first four words. For it is written. Verse 20 is connected to what Peter's just been talking about. For it is written. See those parenthetical summary, 18 and 19? Surrounding the events of Judas, it closes right there at the end of 19. And then Luke returns to Peter's words. And he begins with a resounding, for it is written. You know what, my alarm woke me up this morning at 5.20. 5.20. And i had forgotten until it went off. I'd forgotten it had one of those frog sound alarms. You know, on the cell phone you can set all kinds of different sounds. I, I, a while back I'd set the frog. And so I woke up to ribbit, ribbit, ribbit this morning at 520. And, you know, I was thinking about the alarm and, and how it is intended to wake you up. It's a, it's a wake up call to get out of bed. Some of you this morning perhaps heard that alarm go off and you chose to hit a button that's on many alarms. It's called snooze. And maybe you were still there in bed and and had it go off again and again. Some people like to move it away from their bed so they have to get out of bed in order to turn it off. This wake-up alarm. The alarm goes off. It's, It's a siren to get up. And you know, oftentimes you're the one who sets that alarm, unless you may be a young person and your parents set it for you. In Acts 1.20, there's an alarm, church, of a different kind. It's not the only place where you encounter these wonderful words. You see, because when you read, for it is written, there ought to be an alarm going off to listen attentively. Oftentimes, oftentimes, there is a statement of fact. And we've already heard this. This scripture had to be fulfilled. Concerning Judas, right? Followed up by evidence. And that evidence comes in the form of the scriptures. How many times as we went through the journey in the book of Romans... ...did Paul state fact and followed up his fact by what? For it is written. Scripture. So, the evidence here in Acts 1... ...comes from Scripture. When we look at verse 20... ...there's two, in particular two psalms here. Psalm 69, Psalm 109. Psalm 69, 25 says... ...let their dwelling place... ...there, that's David in the context... ...David's adversaries... ...let their dwelling place be desolate... ...let no one live in their tents. And Psalm 109, verse 8 says... ...let his days be few... ...that's the wicked and the deceitful... ...let his days be few... ...and let another take his office. Now remember... ...these two Psalms... ...Peter has already said... ...spoken by the mouth of David... ...as he was moved by the Holy Spirit... ...are pointing toward Judas. The scriptures... ...are held up by Peter... ...and the new community of believers... ...as the source... ...for action... Because the word of God says so, this is what we're going to do. That's a great idea. In other words, Peter and company are allowing this word of God to determine and dictate their actions. This is instructive, is it not? This is instructive. We need to heed this principle and and let it settle into our mind, settle into our hearts. Does the word of God shape your decision making? Does the word of God have any say so in what you do? Men, as you lead in your homes, is the word of God Brought to bear on what your family does, how your family operates. Is the word of God put forth as the source for your actions, men? Or are you firing randomly, relying on your own wisdom and strength to lead your family? Two things are found right here in Psalm, or excuse me, in, in Acts chapter one, verse twenty. First of all, Judas' dwelling place is to be desolate. No one's to live there. And we just read a moment ago, Matthew 27. It tells us that the field of blood became a field to bury strangers in. Second thing in this text, Acts one twenty, Judas is to be replaced by another. And the remainder of Acts 1 is going to fulfill that very scripture. So, the word of God is the precursor to the action. It's also the very source for the action taken. Look at 21 through 23. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two. Joseph called Bar-Sabbath who was in surname Justice and Matthias. Here we see in 21 through 23 that the word of God is the catalyst for the action. Okay? So, how do I know that? Well, the text says in, in verse 21, right after he's just pointed them to the content, the word, therefore, right? Therefore, ...of these men, these men here... ...who have accompanied us... ...all the while Jesus has been here... ...walking in and out among us. You see, when you have an awareness of the Scriptures... ...when the truth of the Scriptures... ...are put into play in your life... ...they will serve as the catalyst... ...for your actions, church. They will fuel your decision-making... ...they'll jump-start your actions... ...from a biblical perspective. And this is great because... ...left to our own... ...we will act in the flesh... ...and mirror the world and not the word. I was thinking of an appropriate example of this... ...just a few weeks back. I had to give an early exit to a coach... Now, you have to understand something. I don't like to call technical fouls. I don't like to call them at all. But, you know, he was, as, as the Bible would say, he was acting the part of a fool. And, and my actions while on the court... Church, I, I'm, a, I'm aware, every time I walk on the court... I need to be and I desire to be aware of the scriptures when I walk onto the court to officiate a game. And I praise the Lord for helping me through what was a very difficult situation. Giving a coach two technical fouls, he had to be ejected. After the game, he comes back across the court and I'm sitting, I'm I'm praying, I'm thinking, Lord, I'm hoping this guy after having some time to cool down, I'm hoping he's going to come over. And he's just going to offer an apology and realize how foolish he really was. The first thing that came out of his mouth was, no one came here tonight to see you call two technical files. I said, okay. But you know, I didn't enter into what he wanted was an argument. What he wanted was argue and debate his case. But you see, as I thought about the situation, and this is important. I want you to think about your context, your situation, on how the word of God can be brought to bear in your context. How does that happen? Because you see, as I was thinking about the scenario, the catalyst for my actions was this, church. In particular, let me give you two Proverbs, Proverbs 26, verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. And Proverbs 18, verse 2. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart, or expressing his own opinion. You see, I could have explained to him why I gave him the second technical. All it would have done would have been fuel to the fire. I'm not entering into that. But you see, the catalyst for my action. the word is the catalyst for your actions as you interact with people whether it's in the home or whether it's in the workplace whether you're out and about with family wherever it may be is the catalyst for your actions the word of God can you think of the last time when your actions were fueled by what the word of God says you know, you sit here today and, and perhaps your marriage is on damage control or currently in maintenance mode and you're just wallowing around and he said, she said. Perhaps you're pointing fingers at what the other one is doing or not doing. Your actions are being based perhaps on a feeling about your partner. I couldn't help but think, when I thought of that feeling, I, you know, I was reminded of, that, of that, that song. You might remember it, right? Some of you, Hooked on a Feeling. Some of you that are a little older will understand that song. Hooked on a Feeling. Church, we ought not be hooked on a feeling. No. that That's not. That's not what we're hooked on. And and you know, that's the tagline, I believe, for many people today. I feel like. Well, the Word of God is not the catalyst for your actions when you keep cuddling the I feel like blanket. I feel like. See, when you act... Out of your feelings. You are consumed with. Listen to this. You are consumed with you. You. You're the center of attention. You want everyone to take notice of you. Why? Because you feel a certain feeling. Church. The word of God I believe is clear on this. And. There are other places, no doubt we can turn. But I'll just point you to Romans chapter 8, 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, i.e., feelings. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Did you hear that? It's enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You know, I got thinking about this, and and I'm I'm so glad that that Jesus, that Jesus didn't operate according to a feeling about the state of man. Aren't you? These creatures, they're pathetic, miserable, sinful. None of them deserve to be around. And yet we read in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his own love, his own unique love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the catalyst for Christ's actions was the very word of His Father, was it not? He modeled this course of action for those who would follow after Him. And here in Acts chapter 1, 21 to 23, after putting forth the source of truth, the Scriptures, Peter connects the truth with the course of action needed. And what follows is a set of apostolic qualifications. Here's what it looks like, Peter says. First of all, the one who replaces Judas needs to be a man who accompanied us during the time Jesus went in and out among us. Okay, so he needed to be around during the time Jesus was here. If you weren't here, no, sorry. Okay? You need to be around during the time Jesus was walking in and out among us. And then he gives us some helpful markers. Starting... From the baptism of John. Whoa, that goes way back. That's not just, you know, being at the cross. You had to be at the cross. Baptism of John. Mark's gospel begins there. In fact, it even says the beginning of the gospel. Leads me to believe that John has something to do, however small part it may be, he has something to do with what we know as the gospel. So to talk about John and his ministry would also be, at least in part, talking about the gospel. So that's the starting point from the baptism of John all the way to the point of the ascension. Now, we just came off of that, right? Last week, he just ascended back to the Father. So he ends, verse 22... ...with the responsibility involved... ...in this apostolic office. One of these... ...must become a witness with us... ...of his resurrection. One of these must... ...become a witness with us... ...of his resurrection. A witness implies two... ...there's two words... ...let me just throw out for, for witness. Seeing... ...and testifying. Seeing... ...and testifying. Okay? They must become a witness with us... ...of His resurrection. You see, the replacement here in the text... ...is not simply to fill a spot... ...left vacated by the transgression of Judas. The replacement is to be about the work of the Lord... ...to minister alongside the eleven... ...to be a witness to the resurrected Christ... ...to speak of His name... An apostle was not to be a pew sitter, a bench warmer. He didn't hang out in the bleachers. He was going to be on the front lines. Once the power from on high came, and it's about to come, this replacement apostle would be held to the same standards as the other 11. With that criteria in place, the group puts forward two names, Joseph and Matthias. They were two guys that met the criteria. But instead of taking them both, they go, look what they do. They go to the Lord in prayer. Church, that too is instructional. They're seeking the Lord here. The word of God is the catalyst for action. Look at the final three verses. It says, and they prayed. You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all. There's an important verse for us to understand. He knows the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. And here we see that the word of God is the wisdom. It's the wisdom for action. You know, I was reminded of this wisdom in James, in chapter 1. Remember in James chapter 1, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, what are you supposed to do? Ask God. Ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Jesus, remember, chose the twelve. And what was the precursor to him choosing the twelve? He spent some time in prayer, did he not? The desire... Of the believing community here in the Acts 1 text. Is to allow the Lord to choose the replacement. Show us. Which of these two. Let's get the order. It was prayer. Then casting lots. By the way this is the final time that we see. Casting lots. And it's interesting that it's right here. It's, 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 it's the verse right prior to the arrival of the Holy Spirit, the one who is going to be the guide into all truth from that point forward. Almost as though Luke inserts that, not only because, yes, they did that very thing, but also does not, it's a segue right into the one who is going to be that helper, that encourager, that guide into all truth. He's going to be the one who is going to give them insight in the days ahead. This idea of lots was was customary in the day. And this was was customary not just of the people of God. We need to understand that. The people of God did cast lots, but there were other people besides the people of God who cast lots. Okay, It was was the idea, custom, of, of deciding doubtful questions. And among the Jews... Lots were used with the expectation that God would so control them as to give a right direction to them. They were very often used by God's appointment, the writer says. See, we need to understand that casting lots does not discount the Lord's will here in the text. Right? If, if you had that thought or idea, let's, let's, blow, let's blow it out right now. Let's get rid of it. Okay? Because... What do you do with, remember in January and February we talked about Jonah, remember that? You remember those pagan sailors? What'd they do? They cast lots. And we don't know exactly what that looks like. There may have been different forms, methods of casting lots. Some, you know, We typically think of dice, right? Some, some mechanism of dice, right? But they were trying to decide, they were trying to figure out what to do with Jonah. And the lot fell on Jonah. Isn't that interesting that the lot fell on Jonah. Wow. You know, and I got to thinking how you could compare and look at casting lots of the sailors. Because you see, the mariners genuinely desired to get to the bottom of what was causing the problems. And at the same time, God is directing his disciplinary gaze directly to Jonah. In Acts chapter 1 here, the apostles are prayerfully considering the lord's will in this desiring because of scripture's sake to replace judas or oh, what about the soldiers at the cross remember that matthew 27:35 how they divided his garments casting lots they were serving their own purposes weren't they yet they also fulfilled the scriptures in psalm 22:18 Isn't that interesting? And then you look at the sin in Joshua chapter 7 that's unveiled with Achan. Remember that? And and the word Lot's not used there, but the wording is this. The the tribe that the Lord takes. The family which the Lord takes. The household which the Lord takes. The idea of casting Lot's is seen. See, God is, is unveiling sin in the camp. Joshua 18, we see that the lots were used to divide the land. And then during the day of the atonement, this was fascinating, to to select. (laughs) Get this. If you were a goat, the day of atonement, right? One lot, they they would cast lots. One lot for the Lord. Which of these goats is going to be for the Lord? And which of these goats is going to be for the scapegoat? That's what they did. They cast lots for those two goats. Okay? Okay. It's important to understand that this wisdom of God, and we see this in the Scriptures, church. That's the pattern of the Scriptures. Romans, we have a lot of doctrine, heavy doctrine, perhaps, Romans 1 through 11, and then we see turn corner in chapter 12, and we see then there's, there's application, there's, there's living out of this doctrine. It's, it's putting the doctrine into play. Wisdom is is taking the pieces that have been given and then having understanding of how to implement them in your life. And this new community is able to see having been around Jesus. See how to do this. And they offer up prayer. These two men come forward. They offer up prayer. Lord, show us. Lord, we realize you chose 12. We want you, even though you're not here physically, we want you to choose the replacement as well. Seeking the wisdom of God on that. Understanding that God's wisdom is greater, is it not, than man's? So, the word of God. It's a precursor to action in the text. It's the very source of action. It's the catalyst for action and it's the wisdom for action. You see, the the apostolic group, in conjunction with the new community of believers, acted on the replacement of Judas. They acted on it. What about you this morning? See, there's a takeaway here. There's a question that needs to be: asked. What, what, what about you? Are, are you going to allow the scriptures to shape your decision making? I think that's a big question this morning in the text. Are you going to uphold the scriptures and use the scriptures as your source, the very source for action? This is why we're doing this. Include the family, children. This is why we're doing this. Right here. And I hope and pray in days ahead that as an elder, the three of us would be able to say the very same thing to the church. Church, this is why. Because it says this. I'm not into, and I'm going to speak on behalf of Kevin and Ralph for just a moment, we're not into just floating something out there because it sounds like a great idea. My hope is that the things that the church is about and the things the church is going to be doing in the days ahead is rooted and anchored in what the word of God says. And if on any occasion you see us straying from that, you have my permission to come to me and tell me otherwise. Bring the by the way, don't just complain. Bring the word of God to bear. ...on the situation. Open the word. Let's talk about it. Fair enough? Let's do that. We've got to be able to do that, church. We've got to be able to do that. At the end of the day, this is not about me doing what I want to do. Oh, I think this is a great idea. The church ought to do it. No. At the end of the day, what I hope happens... ...is that the church is able to see... ...that the direction the elders are taking the church... That the things the church is going to participate in are things that are going to coincide and go right along with what the scripture says. That's what I hope. That's the desire. So, you've officially been given permission. Tell us about it if we're not. And come to us with the word. That's our common denominator, is it not? In Christ, we have the word. So, Will you take the scriptures? Will these scriptures serve as a catalyst for your day-to-day operating procedures? Not just open it on Sunday. Let's get away from that. Let's, let's, today, this isn't in the notes, but it needs to be spoken. Let's get away from after today. And this includes my own family. I'm not speaking something here that I'm... This is This is serious. Some of you have a bag or have a box or something that you put Bibles in. Maybe some of you carry your own in here. And if you do, great. Don't set that word in your car and leave it in the car until next Sunday. That word ought to go with you. If we're going to be implementing and taking action based upon what the word of God says. Church, the word of God needs to be in you. Will, will you take the scriptures as the pattern for wisdom, this doctrine, application, belief, behavior in your life and see it not just as information to accumulate but understand that it's intended to be lived out based on what we know to be true of the word. Are we then going to walk in that way? In his wisdom. You see, Jesus was shaped by the word. Wasn't he? The expectations of following Jesus involve the scriptures, church. Bear much fruit. Keep his commandments. Show yourself to be my disciples. Summarized in these two commandments love God, love one another. Is the word of God going to shape your decision-making? That's the question. Let's pray. Father, each one of us here make decisions on a daily basis, many decisions. Father, in understanding that we make many decisions, Oh, well, Father, I pray that we would see and our eyes would be open to see how important then it is that we have the word of God in us. That we have your mind on situations that we come across each day. That we know what your thoughts are from the word of God about matters. That we can see and read your principles, your precepts, your patterns. See how you respond. See how you react. Father, be able to see those things. Be able to then actually walk as Christ himself walked as we are empowered even yet today by the Holy Spirit to do so. Shape us, Lord. Mold us. Fashion us in such a way that we, with increasing measure, look more and more like Jesus. May we not disconnect, unplug, turn aside, turn astray from the very word of truth that you've given to us. thank you this morning we just say thank you for giving to us not only your son jesus who is the way the truth and the life but we thank you for this word that you've presented and preserved for us as well Oh, well, father we're grateful for that and i pray that in the days ahead even yet today and this week ahead of us Lord, that your word perhaps would be refreshed and renewed in our own lives as individuals, in our lives as families, in our life even together as church. Thank you. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the great salvation you've given to us through Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.